Bibles, though, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'm appropriately in the place where Paul wrote to and ended his life in the location of Rome. Um, he would write that uh, letter to Romans earlier before he would get to Rome, uh, telling them that he would, he would long to see them. He longed to see them and that he would hopefully see them one day. And just a, a wonderful document of the faith. Most people call it the Magna Carta of our faith. Um, the foundation of what Jesus has done for us. And today, um, there's no way possible that we could possibly even begin to broach or scrape the surface of all of what this means. But we're going to try to at least this morning just give it a, a glimpse. Give it a glimpse this morning and asking the question, why did Jesus have to die? There's a couple of things that we're going to explore over the next couple of weeks, um, especially next, year, next week as we talk about resurrection and, and rescue, and then we'll talk about revival and how the gospel and the resurrection completely changed the landscape of, of the church, which would ultimately lead into Acts and the story of the apostles that we spent a year and a half on just um, here recently. Uh, but today we do want to ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? When there, are mur or when there is a murder or when there are crimes, uh, immediately there are eyewitness reports. Uh, there are eyewitness reports that come along, and, and the, 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 the one, the one, one of the most important things is the eyewitness report because the cops that first come on the scene or the investigators, the detectives that come on the scene, initially that's the first thing they want to find is who saw what happened. Who saw what happened? And they will gather these folks together and they will begin on their notepads to, to write down testimony and write down uh, what did you see and what did you see, from what angle did you see it, what perspective did, did, did you see it. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to piece together the series of events and find out really what just happened here. You're coming out of, out of, out of a completely different area onto a scene where this, this um, crime or murder has happened, and you're saying, man, we've got to put all these facts together so we can just, first of all, know what happened. Now, for all of us this morning, you uh, probably can pretty much put together the concept of what happened on Easter. As I've said many times, all around this world, there are people that can tell you exactly what happened on Easter, there will be people that sit in church pews next week all over the globe, and it will be there one out of two times that they will be in church this year, once at Easter and once at Christmas, whether it's to please mom or dad or whether it's just a, a guilt uh, thing for them that they say, hey, if I'm going to do anything, especially if I claim Christianity, which I'm not a Christian, I'll still go to the appointed time. And all around the, uh, the globe, there will be these people that celebrate this Easter holiday, and they can tell you exactly what happened. Uh, many of our kids and our kids' ministry, our youths and students who still haven't come to faith in Christ, they can tell you what happened. They can say, hey, I know this time of year that Jesus, um, as, uh, Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. The people waved palm branches. Uh, we know that Jesus was arrested. We know that Jesus <coughs> was tried overnight. We know that Jesus went to the cross. We know that Jesus brutally died. And we know that Jesus was buried, and on the third day he rose. You can put pretty easily a synopsis together if you've been in church long at all. But I'm not so um, content on the what today as I am the why. 
Now, that's the next level of investigation in anything is, hey, once we've pieced everything together, once we know what the series of events happened, what, is it, what happens then? You, you come back, and, and the detective wants to know motive. What's, what's the motive? What caused you to do that? You've done that with your, your kids or grandkids. You've broken up a fight in the middle of the downtown basement or outside at a, a wiffle ball game, and you've gotten in the middle of it, and you said, hey, what happened? They give their side of the story. They give their side of the story. And then you get down to the most important part, and why in the world did this happen to start with? We have, all have a lot of questions about a lot of different things, some that will probably never be answered. But the question today of why did Jesus have to die? We're going to begin seeing that right here, beginning in Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Romans chapter 1 this morning. Let's jump into Romans chapter 1. We're going to begin in um, verse, let's see here, where we, want to, where we want to end. We're going to begin right here in verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead listen to this so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like, incorruptible, or, or like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, listen to this, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, and the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Then it goes on in verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, what a, what a dark and in-depth accusation against mankind that we read here this morning. And we ask this morning, Lord, why did Jesus have to die? And there's so many answers that run through our heads, and, and we know the ultimate story and what happened at the end, but how, what, what happened in order for it to get to the cross and to the resurrection? I think this morning, Lord, as you help this pastor understand the brevity of my sinfulness this morning, the seriousness of my sinfulness. I pray, Lord, that this morning that folks in this room, number one, that have never trusted Christ, Lord, that they would know their sin has totally condemned them. But with Christ, they can have new life for eternity. But also for us as believers in this place today, good old church people, Lord, to know that even if we've been saved for years, Lord, that, that you still take sin seriously. And our sinfulness is not just some habit that is formed, but it is something that has totally destroyed the human race. And except for Jesus going to the cross today, as we will explore in a moment, Lord, except for Jesus going to the cross, we have no hope. 
So today, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would teach us these words, these verses. You would teach us this truth, and you would help us to respond appropriately at the end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 1, right out of the gate, explains the reason, one of the reasons, well, not just one of the reasons, but in depth, more in depth on the reason why Jesus had to die. If you go back to verse 25 in Romans chapter 1, look at what it says. It says, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They didn't say, a lot of people you hear quote this verse, it'll say, hey, listen, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They bought into a lie that, that, that Satan was trying to feed them. But it's not a lie that Satan's trying to feed you this morning. It's the lie that condemns every single one of us to a devil's hell. And the only part that we'll talk about next week of rescue is available to us is that Jesus went to the cross, was buried, and on the third day he rose again. So this is an in-depth answer to the question, why did Jesus have to die? It's because... God is a holy God. He's a holy God. And, and as a sin entered into the world in Genesis chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve there sinning against God. And it caused so much, so much separation and shame. And I'll, I'll get to more of that in just a moment. But take your Bibles now and flip over to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to keep you hopping this morning. Hope you know Bible drill is going to happen this morning. Romans chapter 3. The, the Magna Carta of our faith here has just explained through Paul's words that, that everything that has, has happened in humanity that's wrong and that's bad has come from the sinful nature of man. We have changed the truth of God for the lie. It is totally um, saturated, not just our culture or not just our world, but it has saturated the hearts of mankind down to the very core. Unrighteousness, sinfulness. And the first thing that this shows us this morning as we look at three, three, uh, Romans chapter 3 now is, is the first answer to this question is, why did Jesus have to die? Jesus died because we have a problem. You remember that? Houston, we have a problem. When somebody raises a problem or an, an alarm goes off, it, 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 it shows us and it gets our attention that something's got to happen to fix this. And that's the reason that Jesus died. He, he came to the earth. He, he lived a perfect life. He went to the cross because we have a problem. And what does that problem look like? Look at Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. Now listen to this. Listen to the indefinite. not just, again, I'm a good old boy or a good old church person. The Bible says we're not. But it also, it, it also, um, it also magnifies the beauty of what happened at the cross, which we will sing about at the end today. Listen to this, verse 9 of chapter 3. What then? Are we better than they? And, and Paul is asking as he's writing to the Roman Christians, the Roman Jews, he's saying, listen, just because you're Jew doesn't make you better than anyone else. He says, are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Look at verse 10. He begins to quote Psalm 14. Paul says, as it is written. Now look at, listen to these 14 indictments. 14 indictments. There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. 
Listen to verse 13. Their throat is an open, open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. That's like a, a snake that has venom deep down inside of his mouth. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. And look at verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Total and utter, utter unrighteousness. Guess who that describes? Not the folks that were out at the bar last night. Not the folks that were just robbing banks this week and selling drugs. Guess who that described before you were in Christ? Every single Baptist sitting on this church pew. And every single pastor that stands in this pulpit on Sunday. Putrid, nasty, destructive, evil. I, I, I think, think about it on a smaller scale. This week, uh, last week, I believe it was. We were, we were grilling chicken one day, and you know what happens when you grill chicken. You take it off, and you put it on a, a good plate, and you go out, and you grill it. What happens to that, that little piece of cardboard foam that you have? You take it, and, you, and it's good when you have a new trash bag that's put in. You're, you're feeling good about yourself there, and you toss that thing into the bottom. And for a couple of days, your trash just piles up on top of that thing. And then all of a sudden, about a day or two later, you open that thing up to throw something away, and you're like, Whoa, man, what just happened here? I think it was Brooke that identified that this week. You women, man, y'all can smell stuff from here to California, too. I'm telling you. But, but we, even when hit, it's, it's just something different. You watch it, man. And, and, and what? none of you would take that cardboard foam today and take it out and lick it, would you? You wouldn't. If you, yeah, that's what I'd say. Ugh, man, nasty. You wouldn't even think about that. It's putrid. It's nasty. It's rotten. It's, it's just, ugh. I'd say grody, like the, the old, the girls back in the 80s used to say, right? Some of y'all are like, I don't even remember the 80s. That was 40 years ago, y'all. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> Nasty. And, and it just catches your nose. You go, man, we, well, what, we, got, we have to do something about it. You've got to get that out of there. You've got you to you tie that thing up and take it outside and throw it in the garbage outside. We can't stand that in here. The Bible says here, that our unrighteousness and our sinfulness, it's a putrid, nasty smell to a holy God. God who is holy and who has created everything is perfect and righteous and he cannot be in the presence of sin. And, and Paul goes on to say here, look at chapter 3, verse 19. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become, may become listen to this, guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for the law is the knowledge of sin. Let's read on to verse 21. Listen to what this is. But, but now the righteousness of, of, of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no dis difference. And he gets down to the end of this passage. And guess what he says next? What we usually pluck out and we like to just say. I wanted to put it in context this morning. As soon as he says those things, he says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. 
Every, everyone, not, there, there is no one that's good. If you look back in the 14 indictments here in verses 10 through 18, no one is righteous. There's no one that understands, none who seeks after God. Do you know you didn't even seek after God? We used to sing this little song, this little ditty in, in college ministry back when I was leading. And it, always, it was always fun song singing. We'd sing, I found Jesus. And we'd sing that song. And I remember one day after we sang that song, our campus pastor stood up and he said, I hate to tell you, he said, but y'all didn't find anybody. <laughs> while you were in your sinfulness, while your sinful, putrid unrighteousness was going your own way, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, as, as Spurgeon used to call him, the hound of heaven, he pursued you. And guess what the beautiful part is that we'll get to in just a moment. The beautiful part is that especially once we're saved and we have a relationship with him, Jesus never stops pursuing you. Isaiah 53, I think of Isaiah 53 all the time at Easter. I can't get my mind away from Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us has turned to his own way, but God has laid upon him the sinfulness of us all. Guess what? I didn't come to tell you these things this morning to make you feel bad. I came to tell you the truth of who you were before Christ and the, and the, the flesh that we still struggle with today. But guess what? This is also why I'm doing this today, and we're going to have an opportunity to sing again here at the end as a congregation because I want you to know this, is that this not should just indict you to the point of, of guilt and tears. It should, so that you respond to Jesus, the Lamb of God, appropriately. But folks, listen, even more so, this should change the way that you worship. This should, this should change the way. I'm not saying that you all of a sudden become, become a different denomination. Now you want to get real active in your worship song. I'm not saying that. I'm saying this should change the way you worship, not just in a pew on Sunday, but in a Monday at the office. On a Tuesday night at home, on a Thursday evening on the ball field. This should change the way you worship because you were once gone astray. You once, Paul says in Ephesians 2, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. But God, who is rich in mercy. Man, come on. That's where we're headed towards Easter next week. And he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So guess what? Jesus died because we have a problem. What do they say? The first step in the process of healing is realizing that you have a problem. It's realizing that you have a problem. And if you fast forward through to, to Romans 6, turn over to Romans 6 with me. Romans 6, look at verse 22. I'll read 22 and 23. Romans 6, 22, and I'm just walking through the Roman road real quick right here. If you ever remember what that, what that was, most of you remember what the Roman road is. And it says this in verse 22, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. And this is what it says, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. Let's just stop right there for a minute. If you have a problem this morning, like we all do, and Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all. That's every, you look that up way deep down in the Greek, it means all. It means every single person. 
So here's the deal. Here's where it starts becoming real for you and for me. Again, if you're not in Christ today, if you've never trusted Christ, this is a huge deal for you. It means eternity. But even if you're in Christ today, this, this changes the way you worship. It changes the way you respond to God on a daily basis. It changes the way how, how, it changes how serious you take your sin. Because this is the deal. If, if we're all sinful, if all are sinners and, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we've missed the mark. Guess what? Again, Romans 6.23 says this. The wages, the payment of sin is death. Guess what a lot of people in this culture say? Oh, but God, I've had a rough life. Oh, God, I can't control my circumstances. Oh, God, she did this to me. He did this to me. Oh, God, it's everybody else's fault. The Bible says it's your fault. And it's all because of a wonderful couple we know, Adam and Eve. I saw one of y'all post this week the face that, you would, that you're going to make to Adam and Eve right when you get to heaven one day. It's going to be this. Really? <laughs> Probably not. In Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 3, don't turn there, just listen to this. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed you say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God really say that? And this is what culture is asking again. Don't, don't bring your religion into this. Don't, don't what that pastor say. Listen, it's, it's not true. Just go with your heart. Go with your feelings. Following, follow your heart. Listen, that's the most ridiculous thing you can ever tell to your kids or your family. Follow your heart. Follow your emotions. I want to do that sometime. I mean, listen, really? Man, that was online. That's going to be, y'all can go back and watch that today. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. We got to get a bigger stage, y'all. It, 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 but listen, it's the most ridiculous thing you could ever believe yourself because the Bible says your heart is evil continually. Who can even know it? It's evil. And it all came about when Adam and Eve, and, and here's the deal, and we're going to talk about this more in a sermon series this summer, but Adam dropped the ball of leadership. He allowed Eve to, to, to respond. He dropped the ball of leadership when he was supposed to step up to the plate, deal with Satan himself. He dropped the ball of leadership. Eve said, okay, kind of like a lot of women have done over the years. Okay, you ain't going to church. I'll go to church to take the kids. So Eve did it. And so what Eve did when she was doing what she wasn't called to do, she made the wrong decision. She listened to Satan, encountered a conversation with Satan, and she said, sis, listen, sounds good to me. I'll, I'll eat it. And then she gave it to Adam to eat. And what's the first thing that Adam said when God approached him? He said, Lord, this woman that you gave me. Man, don't say that. <laughs> this woman that you gave me caused all this. And he said, hey, this man, this ridiculous man that dropped the ball. Sounds like a counseling session, marital counseling session here. And then Satan's cursed and all, all this. But listen, here's what I want to show you this morning is in... At the end of verses 6 and 7 in Genesis 3, it says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that a tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Listen to this. And they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. The first response... Adam and Eve had when they sinned against God, when they were disobedient to his command, is their eyes were open and they, they realized their shame. 
And what happens when you realize your shame, when you realize you've messed up? Guess what happens? We try to run behind the scenes and fix it and make it look all pretty so everybody else will think everything's good. They sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. Why? To cover the shame of their sinfulness. Remember, God goes walking in the garden. Adam's hiding out in the garden and, and said, Hey, guys, where are you? God knew where they were at. We're over here, God, and, and, and we're naked. And, and God said, Who told you you were naked? Y'all didn't even know that concept until you realized your sinfulness. Genesis 3.21, not only had Adam and Eve, listen, don't miss this, not only had Adam and Eve made coverings for themselves to try to, to cover it up themselves, their own righteousness. Hey, God, look how good we are with arts and crafts. Look, we made ourselves not naked anymore. In 3.21, listen to this. This is weighty, man. Listen, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. It says that God covered them with tunics of skin. What does that mean? It means that for the first time, the first time in all of Scripture in history, something had to die for Adam and Eve's sin. For the first time, not, nothing up to this point had, had, had happened. It was a perfect relationship. Everything was good. They had relationship with God. They had access to the garden, all of these things. And all of a sudden, they are disobedient to God. They sin against God. They try to cover it up themselves, and they're terrible at it. So God said, I'm going to cover your shame, and I'm going to do so. But it's going to cost something else. It's life. For the first time ever, mark it down, Genesis 3.21, for the first time ever, something had to die for sin. Why did Jesus have to die? Jesus died because we have a problem. And that problem needs a solution. Before we get to the solution and close out here, I want to tell you this, I want to show you this. And I'm wondering when to do this, but either the summer or the fall, we're going to go back through Covenant on Sunday mornings. I talked through it on Wednesday evenings, but we're going to knock it. We're going to knock it right. Man, it's going to be awesome, man. It's going to be so in debt. It's going to be, it's going to be beautiful because the foundation of our relationship with God. But in, in this moment, if you, if you fast forward from Genesis chapter 3 and you say, how did God take care of this? Well, God took care of Adam and Eve. Yeah, well, he kicked them out of the garden and put a flaming, a a flaming sword there and a, and a cherubim. He, he, he had them sitting there. Why did he kick them out of the garden? God, that's so, un, that, that's so rude. Why? He could have taken their lives. For the wages of sin is death. And God said, do you want to whine and complain about how it's everybody else's problem? Guess what God owes you this morning? He owes you death. Well, that just seems wrong. That just seems like some kind of authoritarian God that just doesn't, have a, that just, just doesn't care for me. Folks, he cares for you on such a level that you will never even be able to comprehend it. But see, the, the fact that he owes you death this morning 
also brings life to the, the way that he prepared a way for you and I. He prepared a way for Adam and Eve. Even he prepared a way for Noah and, and, and on the ark. Uh, Noah, it said Noah was righteous, righteous and blameless, which means nobody could cast it. He wasn't sinless. He was blameless. No one could, could, um, could bring a charge against him. But even in Noah's righteousness that he had, it was not good enough to, to withstand the flood. And God said, I'm going to send a flood. Why? Because mankind is inherently sinful. And I'm going to destroy the earth. And I'm going to destroy it. But, but Noah, because you've been blameless, you've walked with me, I'm going to save your family. And Noah what? Build a boat, Noah. Build a boat. Because I'm going to make it rain for the first time ever, and that rain is going to be my wrath on sinfulness. My wrath is going to consume all the evil and the sinful mankind that will not get on the boat. So Noah preached to them, build the boat, preach to them, invite them to come. But Noah, I'm telling you, if no one gets on the boat but you even, you will be protected from my wrath. As a matter of fact, in, in, uh, in, in Genesis there in verse six, or chapter 6, verse 14, I believe it is, he says, I want you to cover the inside and the outside with pitch. So that sounds like me and you built a wooden boat today and tried to go to the mill pond down here. It'd sink like a rock. It needs to be sealed. And God said, cover it on the inside and the outside with pitch. Did you know this? And this is where I get hyped up about Bible study. I've told you this before. The word for pitch, cover it inside and outside for pitch, is the same word in the Hebrew that we get the word atonement. A covering. Jesus' blood covers our sin, so we will be protected from the wrath of God. Man, listen to that. Wow. Man, the, the fact that God wants to cover us and protect us from his wrath. In Genesis, he had a covenant ceremony with Abram to protect Abram and give him his promise. In Exodus 12, the Passover, the last the last uh, curse, the last, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Yeah, plague, that's it. The last plague was, Pharaoh, let my people go, but if you won't, tell Pharaoh, I'm going to come and take the life of every firstborn in this city. And, and, and tell, my pe tell, tell my people, Moses, that they should, should sacrifice a lamb and put the lamb, blood of a lamb on the doorpost. And when the death angel passes over, if you have the blood of a lamb on your doorpost, he will pass over. And you'll be protected from the wrath of God. Unless we look at what this Holy Week is about as well. Jesus and the cross. We use these big words like atonement and propitiation and all these things that are in the scriptures. But we say atonement. What does it mean to trust in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross? The atonement, it means to cover. It means the same thing Noah did to protect himself from the wrath of God. To cover his, to atone his boat with the, with the, with the pitch that would protect him from God's wrath. And Jesus gave his life on the cross for us. And as that blood began to run down and to, to, to drip down on that cross and the and the ground around him, God said, that is a suitable sacrifice. If you will trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it will cover you and protect you from the wrath of God. Man. Wow. Jesus in our place. Substitution and atonement. And I want to close with this. Take your Bibles really quickly and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus had to die because we have a problem. In these last few verses, it says that Jesus had to die 
because we needed reconciliation. You see, this morning, it's not just enough to know the story of Easter. I'm, t- I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not, it's not good enough. It's not good enough to just know and tell the events of the story. You have to trust and believe that that's the only way that you can be made right with God and that your sin can be covered. And, and here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, listen, even though it's true, Paul is preaching to the Corinthians. He'd already been to their church in this missionary journey, and he's saying, listen, it's true. It's true that, that it, not just to believe in the actual historical events, but you need reconciliation. And the way you have reconciliation is to come back to God and ask for forgiveness. But Jesus has made it possible. Look at what it says in verse 17. You, you've heard this before. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who have, has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Look, look at this, verse 19. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though, listen to this, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's the kicker. Verse 21 is on the screen. Look at this. It says this. For he made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. To reconcile means to restore relations between. For God to, this big word, impute righteousness to us, it means that He is laying something for free onto your account. Jesus on the cross was credited with your nasty, putrid evilness, your sin and unrighteousness. He took that and and he gave you and credited to you his righteousness. That's why you can't just be an old sinner saved by grace. Because that means, what that means, I can keep doing whatever I want to do and just come to church on Sunday, maybe Bible study every once in a while, and I'm still good. The fact that Jesus gave his life for you on the cross It shouldn't make you just a good old Baptist. Folks, it shouldn't just make you a good old church person. Paul has just said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's free righteousness. And it's given to us through the cross. I'm going to ask our praise team if they'll come forward at this time. Now, don't pack up. We're going to sing together. We're going to close out our time together with this song. We're going to sing together the wonderful cross. And then we're going to close out with an amazing hymn that you know in which we can sing these things back to God. I I love this song, The Wonderful Cross. It's just taken and adapted from um, the wondrous cross, when I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. And, and I, I love the end of this as it says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my all. Demands everything from us. 
because of the wonderful cross. And I want you to sing this with us today. I want you to, I want you to realize these things that we've just talked about today, that Jesus had to die because there was a problem, that Jesus had to die because we need reconciliation. And you're going to, as they say, you're going to see the original Statue of Liberty here, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, in which was once brutal and bloody has now been made beautiful because it serves as a bridge for you and I. Now listen, here's what I want you to do as we sing this today. I want you to sing this, and if you don't know Christ today, I want you to realize what he's done for you. If you need someone here at the end today, we'll we'll give you that opportunity in just a moment. But if you're a believer today, let this change the way you worship. Let this change the way you worship. I'm not saying you've got to jump up and click your heels. do all Just let it change and unveil your heart. And make it available to God. Stand with me this morning. And we're going to sing together. The wonderful cross.